is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we're coming to you live from a couple of places Woo-hoo. on the internet. We are live on Facebook. We're live on YouTube. We're live on Twitch.tv. We're live uh, on Facebook.x. Uh, we're live a couple Whoa. of places, or maybe you're listening later at Spotify, Apple, Google. Definitely not on Stitcher, because we've been saying this on all of our podcasts, but Stitcher is going away at the end of August. Yeah. If you were subscribed there, please subscribe on any other major platform where we're available. Um, but right here at the top of the show, frequent listeners of the show know this, we always start off the show with a really great opening bit. This is something that's really well-planned. And we, we started finding, because we obviously have a comedic background, that just Alex saying where you can listen to the podcast is actually really good, really fun. Really <laughs> we don't good. need a second opening bit, because that's already the funniest thing we've heard. Uh, no, we were just talking about this seriously before we went live. When we were live in person, we would always be like, okay, two seconds before the show started, when the music started playing, we were like, oh my God, we need to have an opening bit. What is our opening bit for the show? And we panic, and then we'd absolutely crush it every time absolutely. out of the gate. Uh, so because the real heads will know that we used to come out, walk out to the front of the crowd, and the three of us would just stand there and sort of riff for a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah. Doing some crowd work. Right. And you were wondering before we came on, Justin, where that came from. I think that came from we were trying to structure it like a talk show. So in the original lineup, it was opening bit. And yeah, then, but did we ever have something li- written down that we were like, all right, hot off the presses, here's the Every once in a bit. while, every once in a while, somebody would come up with something and be like, I have an opening bit planned, I have yeah. an opening bit, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yep. But that was, when I say every once in a while, I mean like twice a year, maybe. Well, let me say, we know we don't remember it ever happening, so I think <laughs> it was pretty loose and coming from once in a while. Yeah, versus this, which is tightly scripted. So listen, why don't we go to our guests? Because we have two great guests for you today. Later on in the show, John Classen is going to come on. But first, why don't we bring in our first guest here? He is the creator of A Never-Ending Adventure, which is currently crowdfunding on Zoop. Ladies and gentlemen, Oscar Osorio. Oscar, hello. Oscar. Hi, guys. How's it going? Very well. Very excited to have you here. This is, as I mentioned a crowdfunding project that is currently successful. You did it. You yeah, yeah. Congrats. congrats. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We That's funded. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that though, I do want to kick it over to Pete because I'm sure at some point he's going to ask you about your Beatles background. So Pete, <laughs> take it away. Let's do it. Yeah. Did you uh, do that art behind you? It was really very cool. Yeah. No, this is like uh, those stickers you, you put into the wall. So oh, it's a, okay. uh, it was my my father's choice. He's the the big fan in in the family, so oh, nice. yeah, he passed it on, on to me. But yeah, he loves the Beatles. I love them too. But he 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 learned English with the Beatles, so oh, oh that's right. Awesome. Yeah. So th- does that mean like he he was like this is my favorite song, and so that's now sort of your favorite song? When it comes yeah, to I think that yeah because he he listened to the music when I was little, so I I grew up listening to it and. Yeah, it, it was like the soundtrack of all my my childhood. So, oh, that's I, nice. I, I, yeah, I, I love the band too. I, I love their story. When they did the the documentary, the the one that just came out, the, yeah. Yeah. like four hours of, of stuff. It was uh, great. It's just it's it's full of, of great fun. history. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. just to be clear, the book you're here to talk about has nothing to do with the Beatles. We just <laughs> <love> the background. <laughs> so, why don't you tell us about a never-ending adventure? What is the idea of the book? What's the pitch? Yeah. So, a never-ending adventure is a, a really personal book. 
it's about the, this this person Mark Mark Bear. He's on a quest to become a, a full-time comic book creator, and Ooh. he will have to overcome his his demons. He's going to fight monsters. He's going to travel to different lands, and it's a it's it's very personal because it's a journey that I lived through. I'm a former economist. I decided to become a full full-time comic book writer at the start of this year, oh, and congrats. thank you. Yeah, and, and I think that there's like you you think that when you are going to work on your passion, you're going to write comics and it's going to be wonderful and you're going to live the dream but there's also a lot of stuff that comes out like anxiety about thinking am i enough what happens if i can make it because i've been loving comic books all my life and if i'm not good at that then what am i good at so there's a lot of, of stuff there that you need what do to i need unpack. all this money for from the, my financial job <laughs> money yuck get rid yeah, of it yeah yeah exactly exactly it's 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 that because you you had like the 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 income and and the security all of that and then you go into the, the artistic the creative stuff there's a lot of uncertainty so i i wanted to put all of those feelings into a book about someone that's going through this journey and but make it comic books because he's going to fight monsters. He's going to go to, to travel and he's going to experience this different stuff. He's going to talk to his dog so, and, and the dog's going to talk back. So there's a lot of, <laughs> of comic book stuff in there that I wanted to put. But at its core, this is a story of someone that made a life-changing decision and now has to deal with the consequences and try to come out on top. Well, you must have listened to that famous Beatles song, Comic Book Writer, over and over again. Oh, until boy. You finally... Come on, man. <laughs> uh, more seriously, it must be extremely validating to do a book where you really are taking this chance to put together a comic book about what a big leap it is to put together a comic book, and then you are crowdfunded. Like, you did get the money yeah, for it. Yeah, you met your goal. And, you, and you're able to make it. Uh, what was that feeling like when you saw the number tick over the amount you were looking for? Yeah, I think that it, it was great. I think that it was a, a challenge because this is the type of book that I wanted to put out there because it's it's something that it, it's it's all me. It's it's like my debut as a comic book writer and I wanted to show people what I was aiming for, what I was hoping to bring into the industry. But it's a really personal book and sometimes it's even called biographical and this is something that not so many people want to read, especially from, from a newcomer. So it was hard to sell it. I think that it was, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I think that the book has, uh, it is going to surprise the readers and it's going to be fun. But I had to tell this story about who I am and try to sell myself as a creator and sell my book as, as like a new book. And it was, it was challenging. It was hard, but I think that it's part of the, of what I wanted to put in the book. Like you're going to come as, as someone new and people are not going to to know who you are and there's a lot of books out there so you need to stand out you need to write and you need to be on social media all day spamming everyone about your book so they finally uh, pledge something but I think I had the, the right artist I think I had the, uh, the right idea and seeing it all come together it, it was great it was great to see the, the support especially from people that like just show up like people that I have never heard before that saying that they have seen my book. I was at San Diego last July talking to people, talking to other creators. And some people told me that they had seen my book on, on social media and stuff. And yeah, that, that felt good to, to like feel people like being aware of what I'm doing and 
being excited for the book. Yeah, that's uh, cool. In in terms of the biography or biogra- autobiographical, excuse me, nature of this, how did you moderate it? I, I mean, I'm sure it was different in every single case, but where did you find that lie between, okay, I'm literally putting myself into this book <laughs> versus I got to pull back and just tell the story that I'm telling? Yeah, I think that this, this um, there's a balance in, in like making it uh, kind of like more more dramatic. I think that the real life, as 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 fun as it gets, it's not as as fun as a comic book. So there's a stuff that you need to put in there, especially like this this type of, of fight fight sequences and the monsters and the the protagonist identity. Try to um, separate your own stuff from from him and try to give his own his own voice. But this is something that I wanted to be this way because. This is like uh, it's, it's basically my story. It's basically how I I came to be as a creator, and this this book needed to be really personal, uh, just yeah. to to work as sort of of my like my presentation letter to the comic book industry and saying this is this is who I am. This is the type of books that I want to to create, and there's a there's a lot of, of stuff in there besides like the the protagonist's journey. There's also some commentary. There's also some some um, comedy and I tried to mix like everything into into the the story and just create a, a fine equilibrium between all of that stuff that I wanted to put. It's, it's like I've already heard like you don't have to save your your ideas, you don't have to save anything for for issue two or issue three because you don't know if you're going to get that. <laughs> yeah. So as I as excited as I was to create this book, I wanted to put everything in there and. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a mix of of lots of stuff, but at, at its core, it's it's who I am. It's my my identity into a book, and I wanted that to to be one hundred percent clear because um, it's 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 the passion that I think that everyone has. Like everyone has a story mm. to tell, so if you tell it like with with your passion, with your voice, people are going to show up. And uh, I want to ask great. you actually <laughs> the the idea that you transitioned out of like a probably pretty time and mentally consuming day job into doing this. I feel like a lot of people want to do that. Like you say, everyone has a story. Everyone has a passion. What was it like? And, and how did you sort of move from the dream of like of getting your story out there in comic book form to actually accomplishing it? Yes, yeah, I said, I think that it's been like 10 plus years that I started reading comic books and starting learning about it. So I, I've heard this comment because I, I made this like drastic decision of one one day I was like economist, I was working a consulting firm and doing all that stuff like finance. And the next day I was a comic book writer and people tend to think that it was like an impulsive decision that I woke up and said, I don't want to do this anymore. But being a comic book writer is something that I wanted to do. I think that at least for the, for the last five years I known that I wanted to create comic books at some point. And it's something that was was uh, meant to happen at, at some point. So I've also learned a lot from other creators. I've seen there's a lot of stuff online to learn how to write a book, to work with, with people, uh, social media. It's great to find other collaborators. So it was just uh, like the combination of years of becoming a, a, a fan, but to the extent that I wanted to create stuff. Because I've seen that there's a lot of people, a lot of collectors that 
they read a lot of comics, but they they don't want to create comics, and and that's okay. But for me, it was I I had uh, it was clear for me that I wanted to create my my own stuff. So You're I was too deep. <laughs> I have yeah, to make I, this now. Yeah, yes. I, I was listening to like panels, I li- listening to other creators during the pandemic. I was consuming a lot of their their own content. They went into teaching, they went into sharing their own experiences, and I saw saw all of this and wanted to to do my own. So it's it's a journey that uh, started like five years ago, and I knew that at some point I was going to create a comic book, and this is just like the culmination of all those years of studying and learning and reading and also writing. I wrote articles, I wrote reviews, I was working with people. I, I'm I'm from Peru and, and I started writing in English. I started connecting with, uh, with the American audience, with the American public. So it's something that has been like years in the making and it, it helped me a lot because if, if it was like a rush decision, it would be impossible because making a, a comic is hard and it, it's, um, it's something that you need to be prepared. You need to have like this community. You need to mm. meet people. You need to be engaged, uh, talking to, to people, learning from them. And yeah, reaching out, building a, a fan base. They talk about that a lot of just getting people to know you before. So you don't come like a complete sta- stranger. And yeah, it, it's it's like years of, of connecting with, with the community. But yeah. it's something that I, I love because I love comic books. So it's, it's <laughs> great that it, it didn't feel like, like a job. It wasn't, it was my hobby until I decided to turn it into my profession. But for me, it was awesome. It was like meeting new friends, talking to people and then, oh, I can, I can do something. I can create something. And when the opportunity came, I, I took it and now we're here. <laughs> Yeah. Well, speaking of now we're here, even though we said it's successfully crowdfunded, it is still running on Zoop, right? People can still support it, get copies of the book, get assorted swag, things like that. Oh uh, no, right now the the campaign nope. is closed. We're working Oops. on on <laughs> we're working Zoops. on, on... Zoops. <laughs> Yeah. No, we're we're working on completing the book. We we got the funds, so we are going to complete the book. But as soon as the book is ready and we deliver on, on the orders and we have everyone happy that supported the campaign. I'm planning on making this book available to, to the people because I want to to share it. I want more people more more people to, to see it. I was like also trying to get a publisher or someone to to just publish it and make it like more more accessible. I think that with the with the book being funded and soup it's it's a big uh, like something that the publishers consider but now i'm waiting on the book to be be done i'm, I'm talking with the artists we are going to fulfill the the orders and once the book is is completed i think we are going to go on uh, another round of going to publishers and trying to get this book out there and also awesome. just finding a a way of of getting it accessible to people because i think i i created this book as a book that people can relate to and and for me as a as someone that wanted to create comic books i think this was the book that i would have loved to read like one year ago oh, nice. or, or yeah. six months ago yeah. so i want people to read this book and say oh maybe i take this decision maybe i don't and i don't want to write comic books but they just see the book and get inspired or or get discouraged by the by the <laughs> what's happening in the book but 
because I, I try to make like um, make this book real. It's not like completely dark. It's not oh don't do this because you're not going to have a good time. But it's not also it's it's not like instant happiness. So I try to to balance it, and I think that this book is it will be better when more people come and, and read it and get inspired by it. Nice. Awesome. Oscar, I love that. I love your attitude. I love all of Thank this. Um, I wish you nothing but luck with this book. And I can't yeah, wait congrats. to see what Thank happens you. with the rest of the span of your career at this point. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank all you right. so much. Uh, thanks for coming on, Oscar. Have a great night. Good luck with yeah, everything. I, I, yeah, I oh. just wanted to mention, yeah, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm doing this book. I'm also working on a, oh, right now on my, my, my next project is an anthology that has open submissions until Sunday. So if any creator out there wants to to send a pitch and work together, oh, uh, nice. you can, yeah, you can send it at here. You have my, my. Yeah, actually, my, can you s describe the pitch? Cause it's actually really uh, exciting. I love this idea. Oh yeah, yeah, Brian sure. Thompson. Yeah, yeah, no. So the anthology is based on, on the, the moral dilemma of if you had the opportunity to push a button and you get a lot of money, but someone dies at random, would you do it? Sorry, Pete's um, already pressed the button like nine times <laughs> <laughs> before you even yeah. finished. Yeah, no, and I wanted to, this this is what I meant with, with like the, the social commentary stuff. It's, this is like a, a dilemma of the value of people and money and how you compare both of them. And as I mentioned, I come from a background of corporate jobs. So I know that there's a problem right now with the value of people and the value of money and how people see it. So I created this anthology with with each story is going to have someone that gets the the button and needs to make this decision and what happens next wh where is the story when the other characters are up to the creators and it's got a, a great um, great success that the submissions we have a, a lot of submissions it was kind of unexpected but it, it's good and I'm I'm really excited for this project. Um, and as I, as I said, the submissions are open until Sunday. So if any creator out there still wants to pitch something, we are completely open to that. And you can do it here at, at Oscar, OM, Oscar OM29, which is at, uh, you can find me at the socials with that um, handle. And nice. yeah, and I'm, I also have a Substack page. So it's oscarwins.substack.com. And in there, I'm going to publish uh, some short stories. Um, I, I started with, with my book, uh, crowdfunding on soup. And right now I'm doing the anthology and I'm also working on building a, a portfolio of short stories so people can get to know my work better. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for the this second half of the year to for people to start seeing my, my work. I, I've been like trying to promote myself, my story, what I hoping to, to do in the industry and to contribute. But I have yet to, to show my my pages, my finished uh, finished story. So I'm uh, doing these short stories, um, like for the end of August, the end of, of of September. I think is going to to be out there, and I'm excited for people to see more of, of what I'm wanted to share. Great, absolutely That's awesome. awesome, Oscar. Thank you for plugging all that stuff. It is all so cool. And yeah. uh, thank you, thank again, you. Have a great night. It was good chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so thank much you. for the opportunity. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. All Oscar. right. <laughs> <laughs>
<clears throat> there we go. Once again, the project, the main project he was talking about was A Never-Ending Adventure, which you can check out soon in the future. Um, and that was Oscar Osorio. Let's bring in our next guest. He is a multi-award-winning author and the creator of his most recent book, The Skull, A Tyrolean Folktale. Ladies and gentlemen, John Klassen. John, <laughs> yeah. welcome. Welcome. Hello. Oh my gosh, thank you for coming on. So as as mentioned, you've been creating award-winning books for years. They're children's books. This one also ostensibly <laughs> for children, but much longer. We're, we're, I, I just kind of wanted to start off this just in terms of terminology. Do you view this as a graphic novel? Is it still a children's book? Is it something else? What do you call it? I did think of it as kind of a graphic novel. I even okay. tried to do it as like a comic, um, but it didn't work. I, I, I got like two pages in and realized that was way out of my depth. Comics are, <laughs> are a whole different thing. And it turns out that unlike usually my thing, at least for the younger books, but just generally, I like to skip information and not show certain mm -hmm. changes or whatever it is. And comics, at least as far as I would do them when I tried, where like, I couldn't stop showing every emotion change or every beat in a line or something. That's what it's good for, I thought. And I was just like, I'm, I'm never going to finish this if I do it this way. I'm, I can't do it. And so it's still, it doesn't have speech bubbles or that same format, but I would love it if they did shelve it with the graphic novel because I think it has that feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think you, you, know, you, you, you use this, <laughs> the text into, into uh, uh, images as a great way of sort of setting up and, and punching different emotions, whether it's like sort of uh, horror is a little too extreme, but sort of the like extremity that happens to, to our main character and the, the punchlines or the comedy side of it. I, I really love the way you sort of combine them in a comic book way. Thanks. Yeah, there is some, I was a storyboard artist when I first started working at, at ah, animation studios. And so like sense. set up in a beat or a cut or something is still a big part of the language but for this one it felt like it was sort of a mix between all that stuff between like picture book language and then storyboarding and then whatever whatever comics can kind of give you without actually dedicating yourself to that that way of delivering information it felt like it's in there somewhere though that's really great thanks before we get too much further though can you tell us about the story and i love in the in the back matter you sort of talk about how you develop this story and i think it's super interesting so tell us about yeah that. i was well i do book touring a lot because i do kids books mostly and i was in a library in alaska uh, waiting to do like a talk Whoa, and I just sort of wandered into the folk section and found this book with the story in it called the skull and it's like you know four pages or something and I read it really fast before my talk and then put it back on the shelf and um, picked it up uh, on my way out but I forgot the name of the title and everything and then on the plane on home I just kept thinking about this one little four page story and then like a year later because I don't adapt stories it's not usually how I work so I wasn't really thinking about doing that but I just couldn't stop thinking about how I would um, I asked the library, I wrote the library in Alaska saying, I read this one tiny story in your library somewhere. I don't know the book or anything. <laughs> um, and the librarian, sure enough, like in two hours, she found it and scanned it. I don't know how they, apparently librarians, this is like their favorite things when they get someone who emails them like that. And it's like, I don't know anything. Find me a book. How busy do you think the Alaskan librarians are on the daily? Are you just how like, dare you, Justin? They're crazy by... busy. Well, I'm just saying there's not a lot of people up there. There are no, fewer people there. But you'd think that they wouldn't have much to do, and so like they would be at the library a lot. But either way, the Juneau Library, the Juneau Alaska Library, giant props to the Juneau Alaska Library. Um, and so I got this story back, but I read it again, and I had changed it. I don't know if like if you've had experiences like this. I have it a lot because I, I I'm in kids' books, and so when you go back to books. 
that you remember when you were a kid. You have these memories of them and then you've changed them a lot. You read them again, yeah. you're like, I don't remember any of this. And I remember it being much bigger or much smaller or much mm -hmm. the colors or whatever. You, your head has changed it. And it happens to me with kids' books, but this is the first time it happened to me like this, where I had changed like the back half of the story at least. I'd yeah. forgotten how the original story ended, but I still remembered, you know, what I thought the story was. And this was an obscure one enough. I hadn't heard it in any other place before that I thought maybe I could just take it and, and do my old version. Whatever my head had done to it, I liked it. I thought it had reasons, good reasons, dramatically and structurally for doing it that way. And so I wrote that. And this is the book that we have is the whole back half of the story has changed, but I still like it. Well, but that's kind of the point of a folktale, right? Is it's not supposed to be literally yeah. written down on paper. It's supposed to be passed along and changed as it goes from person to person. That is what I'm leaning on. Yeah, I'm telling myself that. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes when you see folktales, they're like, oh, it's not a, you know, it's not a fairy godmother. It's a, it's a wicked witch or whatever it is. And like, sometimes they, they change minor things, but I, I really, I changed the whole back end, but I was like, yeah, folktales, right. We're supposed to change them. But I, I do think that, yeah, it's mostly the ending. And I think the whole beginning part is certainly in keeping with the spirit of the, of the original story. But I always like folktales for that. They always do feel kind of organic and weird. And there's, you can tell there's weird, like vestiges that people kept, but forgot why they kept them. And so you walk down this one dead end street for a while with them, and then they have to come back to the main. It's such a weird form, but I, they're my favorite because they do feel always so organic. What was it? Uh, I mean, you touched on this a little bit already, but what was it about this one story that really hooked in with you? Well, was there something thematic, something emotional about it in particular? The emotional part actually was the thing I ended up doing to it. I think um, mm. the story starts as a little girl who runs away from home and into the woods. It's like back in sort of village castle times and she's out in the woods in the winter and uh, running and running and she comes across this house this old house and there's no one in it but a but a, an animate skull who she meets and the skull says i will let you in here but you have to carry me around it's getting to be a real pain to be a skull um <laughs> and really roll around so i would love the help and then you can come in and so she says, yeah, no, it's no problem. I remember even just that part of the story, which is in the original part, being like, who is this girl who is <laughs> nonplussed by this whole arrangement? It's like, that's better than what I was dealing with back home. And in the original story, there's a couple different versions, but there's like, again, it's just like a wicked stepmother that she's running from or like a bad, you know, family generally. It's just not a thing. But in my version, I cut it out. I don't say what she's running from. Um, we meet when she's running. And the only thing we say is... Um, Otilla, who is the girl's name, uh, finally ran away. And that's all you get, the whole book. Wow. You don't know why she's run away. Um, and I liked that much more. It seemed like a way in for the reader, for kids. I mean, kids know why they run away. They can usually slot in something there. Um, but then also it became the interesting part of the book is that what she ends up doing, so the skull shows her around, shows her around the house. They become pretty good friends in the day. He's a, he's a nice skull. Yeah. And um, uh, in the evening, he kind of tells her, look, you can stay here tonight if you want to but i have to tell you there's this headless skeleton that busts in here sometimes and chases me around <laughs> and i wouldn't mind help with that either and she says well how often does this happen to you and he goes it happens every single night he comes and chases me around <laughs> and so she gets really upset by this she's upset both because you know he's her friend now they've had a day but also you get the idea that she's like she's run away from something and she's like God damn it. Like, I just left something. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> this is supposed to be better than my life. It's supposed to be better over here. And so what I really liked about it, I think, partly is that there's so this, this headless skeleton, right? He, he says, all right, it's coming tonight. So she goes, all right, I'll help you deal with that. Um, 
And so they go to bed. They have a nice little going to bed. She gets pajamas and it's a nice little bedroom and they go to sleep. And sure enough, two in the morning, a headless skeleton kicks open the door and chases them around the house. And at one point during sort of the tour of the house that the skull gave her, he shows her a tower and a bottomless pit, both those things. And so she leads the skeleton up to the fools it into running up the balcony, pushes the skeleton off the balcony. It shatters into a million bones in the bottom. And she goes to the skull, okay, it's time for bed. And so she puts the skull to bed, but then she heads back out into the night. I, this was where I started to change it mostly is I figured no one's going to believe that this skeleton, animate skeletons put themselves back together. Everyone knows that. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, comes down there and takes every single bone, finds every single one, brings them to a rock with a rolling pin she finds in the kitchen and beats them to dust. Whoa. Every single and then she takes all that bone dust and puts it into a bonfire that she's made and burns the bone dust to ash. And then she takes the ash, puts it in a bucket, takes it back up to the dungeon that he showed her with the bottomless pit and drops the whole bucket into the bottomless pit. And she's the new Marvel Comics Punisher, essentially. Yeah, like, she basically absolutely. finds this in herself. Or maybe she always had it. But that was the interesting part is that as soon as we removed why she ran away from home, suddenly you have this great sort of device of a headless skeleton that only repeats one line the whole time. He screams, I want that skull, give me that skull, over and over again. So he's basically <laughs> a robot. You've got the same device as like a zombie movie, right? Where you've got this, this villain that doesn't feel pain, or at least that has no pathos in it, that she can then sort of turn whatever she's working on, she can turn on this thing and she can take it out on this thing because you don't have any feelings for it. And I just love that as a story device, that you could do anything you want to this headless skeleton. You destroy it four or five times over. And that it makes whatever she's been through more interesting. It makes her more interesting. And it also just feels cathartic, I think, for the reader to just destroy something that's truly evil over and over again until it's gone. Um, and that was that was the, what I changed, was that it, it, in the original story, like there was like a sunrise after the skeleton that chased him around for a while, and he goes poof and disappears. And then the skull changes into like a lady who's like, I was always a lady and here's the castle for you. <laughs> and it, and then she disappears too. And I was just like, I don't get anything out of that. I want to beat the hell out of yeah. the skeleton. <laughs> well, it, it reminded me if like Beauty and the Beast like went sour. Yeah. If they like didn't solve it and someone showed up and was like, hey, look at all these skulls. Right. Uh, but it also <laughs> reading it, like I have, I have two kids. We do a lot of story time. And we've gotten into some stories that I used to read when I was a kid by William Stieg. Oh, yeah, uh, my favorite, my favorite. Yeah. I love William Steak stuff. These are uh, stories like um, The Amazing Bone, which the is... Amazing Bone is like one of the, the scariest children's stories. Sc ever so scary. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. And um, uh, The Magic Pebble or uh, Sylvester yeah. and the Magic Pebble. Yeah. And the, there's, they have, like, and, and your story, I feel like, fits in there, too, where, like, there's darkness at the edge, but it's about kids being sort of powerful and being able to be, like, sort of take control of their lives. And I just love that as a whole. Well, there was, uh, I do a lot of thinking about his stories. That's so interesting you bring him up because what he does so often in his books, especially for younger kids, the picture books, is that he sets up some impossible problem that almost is brought about by like weird magic he never explains. And it just feels like the most improbable thing goes wrong for someone. And then that whatever happens to them takes them down a truly emotionally relatable horror path, right? Like just a a terrible situation but then the solution is just as improbable what ends up fixing the problem yeah. is just like magic also that he didn't even introduce it just sort of comes across and you're okay with all of that because you really want it to happen he almost acts as if what do you wish for when you're truly in a fix in your life like he puts you into yeah. a real position where like someone's kid has gone missing and the parents spend a year looking for him and that's devastating but then like a true miracle makes it okay and you almost don't believe the miracle but you're like 
but that's what I wanted to have happen. It's almost like yeah. a wish fulfillment thing. And that was the same thing I used here where it was like, I just really want to beat the hell out of the skeleton. Like I, it might yeah. not make sense, <laughs> but like for the same reasons, like you find that being like your story compass is that like, what do I want to do? What do I want to feel like? And that's not, you don't even analyze it structurally. You're like, I really want to just kill him over and over again. Like I want him <laughs> gone, like deeply gone. And so like his impulse, you can tell where he's like, I'm not even sure you're going to believe this, but I'm telling you, this is how the story goes. And don't you feel better? And like that impulse, just for kids, just be like, do we feel better? We feel better, right? We feel better. And that's kind of the only validity the story has to have. You don't have to learn anything. You don't have to see how she's nice or a better person or learn not to steal or something. You just, you feel better. And that's enough to make a book, I think. Oh, Definitely. Pete, did you have a question there? You were raising your hand. Yeah, I had, I had a question, but I realized it was more for Justin and how he raises his kids. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I thought, I'll, that save one it. I'll save we it. We can yeah, talk yeah, about that in the, when I eventually ask you to adopt my children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to ask you artistically how you tackled the skull, because obviously we're dealing with a still form here, right? Like it's on a page. Yeah. You're not talking about animation or anything. But yeah. you've already got a skull that doesn't, do much. He can't walk many places. Right. And then the way that you draw him, he doesn't even have the mouth part. It's just sort of this white wash at the bottom yeah. for the most part. Uh, yeah. Why that choice? And uh, how you still got a lot of character out of him. So I'm curious about that as well. I think that was that was that was what was interesting to me is that how can we can we get character out of something that's like almost even has some of his devices removed? Right, as you say, mm -hmm. he doesn't. I don't draw teeth or a mouth on him. As soon as I did he looked funnier than I wanted him to, or like mm -hmm. with all the teeth, he looks like he's grinning or he's too menacing. And he's actually very nice and gentle. And even if when you put a, like a line for a mouth, it just looks like he's about to say something or he's got something like, <laughs> it gave you too much information. I often avoid mouths in my drawings for characters because it feels like, as you say, it's a still medium. As soon as you put a mouth on it, usually there's someone talking on the page. And if you were really illustrating that moment, they'd be talking, their mouth mm. would be open. And so it's a weird, I've always had trouble with it. And so instead I just remove the mouth and it's almost like they're thinking to each other. And I expect that's how the, she's receiving information from the skull is that there's almost like a telepathic sound. And maybe she thinks back at him. I'm not really sure how that, because she doesn't really open her mouth very often either. Um, but it was, that was what was interesting to me about the story too, is that my characters in my other picture books, they don't emote very much. I try and find a way to do what you're talking about where they can be still, but you still want emotionally interest the audience. How do you do that? And with this story, it was like, well, here we have a skull who, as far as I'm concerned, shouldn't move at all. And then we have Otilla, the girl who is pretty brave. You know, here we have this girl who's run away from home. She meets a skull. She's fine with that. All this stuff where she can actually play it pretty, pretty stoic too. And so the two of them going through deeply emotional stuff, right? Otilla's going, run away. she's in this big, huge moment in her life. She's, she's going through some stuff, but she's going to play it straight. And so as the skull, we have these two kind of statuesque drawings that I get to just place in different scenes, but not really have them do very much on their faces. And yet, hopefully, the audience is still emotionally connected. I like that contrast. I don't like to draw highly emotional characters. It, it, it just always felt like overkill to me. I'm just not, I also, I just don't think I'm suited to it. My, my style doesn't suit <laughs> that kind of drawing. And so it's great. If you can just put them standing there and be like, can I break your heart with them just standing there? Let's try. Then that's always a you definitely got me, John. Like I really enjoyed this top <laughs> to bottom. There's there's something about the font you chose that was had like sense memory to when I was a kid, and, and so like the whole book really, I just fell right into it and loved every. every that font was really deliberate. It's called Century School Book, and I use it for most yeah. of my books ah. because most of um, 
most of my books have to do with, you know, someone murders somebody usually or something happens that probably shouldn't. But we get away with it, I think, tonally a little bit because Century Schoolbook was what they used to use in like Dr. Zeus and P.D. Eastman and like Go Dog Go. That's the font. And it's a beautiful, warm, it's not, if you use like Futura or something sans serif, it feels very cold and austere and it might suit the story stylistically, but I like it better when it looks friendly. And then you still say a headless skeleton kicked open the door. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It works. Um, (laughs) Now you... You uh, you started in animation, as you said, or at least yeah. you did a bunch of animation and then obviously have been ridiculously successful in children's books, which is great. Is that something you want to get back to at all? Could you see like trying to take, for example, this book and adapting it to a movie or a TV show or something like that? Yeah, I got into TV last year again. My friend Mac and I, who do books together, um, we have a series of books about shapes, the triangle character, a circle, and a square. And that got turned into a stop motion show on Apple. And it was like, I'd been in stop motion before. I was a set and prop guy on Coraline for that run of the movie. And then I'd been at DreamWorks, at Story before that. And so I'd I'd done like eight or nine years of animation work before I got into kids' books. And there was a lot I do miss about it. I miss the collaboration and the group blame that can get spread around. That's production right there. I don't miss it. Everything taking four years. And so I was like, the show was a nice sort of middle ground because we got a, you know, however many episodes out in the space of a year rather than four years. And that was really cool. Um, But I did miss the, I think I've been spoiled a little bit by books because you get all the control too. If that's what you want, that's what it gives you. And the stakes are a lot lower. These books aren't expensive to make. And so you don't have to convince a room full of Jeffrey Katzenberg's to back up your weird story. You just have to, yeah. you know, the, the book editors are much more game because they want to try some, at least a lot of them are. And so, I don't know, I go back and forth. I think this one probably showed that I miss film more than my other books because I think it is, it was written filmically and I think I paced it like one. And I think it, it like, I think you can tell I like, I like movies and I miss movies a little bit with this book just because it feels like one to me. Um, yeah. It'd be really fun. I think it would be really fun to adapt this one. Well, on that note, you had mentioned Coraline, and I think semi-coincidentally, it's back in theaters right now. They did a remastered yeah. version. Have you that. been yeah. able to check it yeah. out as somebody? No, who I haven't been able to go. We have two little kids, and one is six and one is four. And the six-year-old likes scary movies. And so like I think of like a month ago, we were on a plane, and Coraline was on the thing. He was like, I want to watch that one. And I was like, yeah, it's been a minute. I think you could probably watch that. And so he watched it. And it's the only movie he's ever turned off partway through. And he talks to me. He's like, I should not have watched that. <laughs> why, did you, why did you do that to me, Dad? What, he's what into everything. <clears throat> he loves everything. But that one, he was too scared of it. And so we I, we have to take them if we go to the movies. I haven't been back to see it. I, that, I watched it with on his seat with him. But that was the last time. And it's one of those weird things where because it took so long. And I was such a big, I was so involved in it. I can't watch it without being like, oh, that wall is the wrong color or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Too close. I have no idea what the movie's like. It's so strange because I think it has become something of a touchstone for, you know, uh-huh. a younger set than uh-huh. me. We hear about it all the time. Yeah. Um, and I really, I, I give Henry Selleck the credit for that all because he was just such a magician. That production felt like such a crazy tornado. And then we watched it at the end and we were like, holy cow, he did it. Like, this works. And right. um I remember watching it then, but then as the years have gone by, I think you, you sort of lose perspective on your own, on your own stuff that you've worked on. It's weird. Do you, uh, when you were working on it, were you aware how traumatic the button eyes would be oh. for viewers? 
I think so. I mean, I, I, yeah, we would see the dailies and we'd see what we shot and we're like, oh, all right. I mean, if you want to do this, um, <laughs> that's going to haunt me. He yeah. had a line though. Henry had a line cause he was interviewed about it after it came out and someone asked him, you know, do you think this is maybe too scary for kids? And he said, well, who's your kid? Does your kid like scary yeah. movies? <laughs> I loved that answer. And I lean back on that all the time because like we talked yeah. about stuff for younger kids, especially, and there is this weird, you know, thinking that, boardrooms can do where they're like kids don't like that do they no they don't or yes they kids love that we'll do that you can't do that kids are very 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 different from one kid to another and some kids it'll be their favorite book and other kids will just be bored and want something else or want trucks or you know it's whatever they want but i always love that answer from henry on that movie and it, yeah like it was, it's true i think that's exactly what lets you do the work you want to do you can't be thinking about whether it's going to grab a whole age bracket you can't do that well and i would argue like not to get too into like kids mentality but like you know, when you're young you have like a, more of a black and white like oh that person died or that per like you can understand darkness for what it is as you get older we get into the mentality and it gets a little more complicated kids are super uh, interested in death it turns out like they talk yes. about it a lot. you get a lot of questions about it even my books which are before this one they're kind of cagey and coy about murder and death but even if someone does die in them they're like, what, like death, like I want to talk about death because no one talks to them about death because all the adults take it personally and are scared of death. But kids aren't there yet. Their ego hasn't developed to the point where they are like, that's, I could die. They just want to talk about things dying. Yeah. And no one talks to them about it. it and so it's a mystery. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm re uh, it is when I was a kid, I loved the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe and that whole yeah. series. I'm reading that with my kids and I'm simultaneously surprised by how flip it is at points and very like, yeah, you'd be scared of this if I told you what really happened. It's like lines like that. <laughs> All simultaneously is like, hey, guess who died? The guy yeah. we've been talking about the whole time. <laughs> it's just like, whoa. What? I love that that first one. We talk about that one a lot because that brother that sells them all out. Um, yeah. I forget his Edmund. name. Edmund. Edmund. Fuck Edmund. Is Edmund. He gets Edmund. better in later kids. books. He's a good he character better, in later books. His, yeah, like, I saying. was always so fascinated by him. And I think about him a lot for my own books because you're always like, that's our complicated relationship. Like so often things for kids are like, you got to be a good friend and here's how to be, or if there's a villain, he's a true villain. But Edmund wasn't either of those things. He was complex. He didn't really even want to sell them out. You could tell he was like, he was kind of doing it for spite and he probably felt bad the whole yeah. time. Like that's such an interesting, when you're reading it, when you're young, you're like, I know this guy, I am this guy sometimes. Mm -hmm. like, I yeah, exactly. And that's, you don't see that very often. I love plot points like that and characters like that in kids books because they're just, they're complicated. They have complicated relationships with other kids and other people. It's neat to see it. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, this book has, relatively speaking, just been released. I think it came out yeah. on July 11th. But do you... Uh, well, first of all, what's the response been like now that it has been out for a while? Have you been able to tour around it all? Have you been able to get any direct feedback? A little bit. I did some dates here in L.A., um, just locally. I've never had a book come out in the summertime before. It's usually either spring or fall. And this one they put in the summertime with the idea of letting it sort of boil a little while and then ramp up around fall when... It looks like a fall book. It's called mm -hmm. Skull. And, um, <laughs> and so I've been reading it around a little bit. And it's always so interesting when I do read it. I think I've read it four or five times for kids. And you can read it straight through with them. They sit through it, which is really fun. Um, yeah. But most kids want to know if the skull goes with the headless skeleton, if it belongs to if it. If that That's skull, what I've been you know, yeah. struggling with this whole time. I'm like, don't kill the skeleton. You got to put the head on top of don't it. Don't kill so his body. The whole body right. again. Yeah. I think you got to like when she asks him very carefully, like, you don't want this skeleton, though, right? He goes, I absolutely do not. And so what, regardless of their relationship in the old story, 
it was explained in a really long-winded way that the skull was belonged to a lady who was beheaded by a duke and the duke was beheaded for beheading the lady and so oh, the duke is the duke's body is chasing the lady's skull out of spite he basically wants a skull and he's like well i'll get the skull from that lady i chopped up <laughs> and so like it makes sense you believe it and but so that's what explains that that felt like, like i didn't want to add a chapter to do that and i actually kind of like that it's a bit of a mystery that you i agree powerful visual a skull is a powerful visual, a headless skeleton is a powerful visual, the connection is a powerful idea, but you don't give it to them. Like all of that is, there's there's gasoline in that, that I, I liked when we left out who they are. And so we want to know that they all have their theories too, which is a nice place to leave it off. And for little kids, it's like, if you have a theory, that's, you know, run with that. It's okay. It doesn't break the story. It's fine. Well, and it's very well, relatable, that she... the idea that our skulls hate our bodies, which all of us <laughs> yeah. agree. I like that too. Awesome. Like, yeah. yeah, the whole moral dilemma there of like, please get my body away from me. It's nothing but trouble. Like that, I mean, I can relate to that. Yeah. But when I love that she sort of intuits that this skeleton body is bad. It's not even like the, the connection, because I think reading it, I was like, oh, maybe it is a good thing. And I was like, oh, she knows it's bad and she handles it <laughs> i don't know if you guys have you guys ever seen these books by john belairs um they're these old creepy chapter books for kids they were done in like the 80s and early 90s edward gory did all the covers for them and there's like mm. set of like 15 of them but they're beautiful and they're they're all about like little kids like 10 or 11 who have like an old friend in the neighborhood who knows about talismans and like there's a different kid each book most of the time but that's the setup and the, the way that he deals with magic in these books is really haphazard and like yeah, probably if you bring that necklace with you, it'll come in handy sometime and it ends up scaring away like wraiths or something. Yes. But like, they don't get into that. But I've always loved that approach to magic for kids books is like, you know, this is kind of going to make sense, but you know, you don't get all the information. Just kind of trust ah. that if you pick up a rock that you think looks magical, it's probably magical. Like that, like just go yeah. with that. And uh, sorry, I, I had to look it up, but just for anybody listening, yeah. yes, I definitely have seen these. He did. The house with the clock in its walls. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The yeah. mummy, the will, oh, and the yeah. crypt. The eyes oh, of the killer yes. robot. I remember the, what, the titles are so good. The covers are, they're hard to find the old gory ones now. They've all been like republished a thousand times. But if you can find the old hardcover gory things, they're beautiful. Um, but yeah, they're just so badass. They just have these titles like the eyes of the killer. Like he just knew what he was doing. They don't try to be allegories for anything. They're just like kick ass little magic stories. They're great. And, I, like and I love what you're. I love what you're saying too, because I feel like now so many of our stories are like, well, here are the rules, and then yeah. we will then follow the characters. And it's like it's so much more natural and exciting to follow the character who doesn't know the rules and right. maybe learns them near the end. And, and I think that, that kids can relate to that too. Kids are game because that's their whole day anyway. You bring them to a basketball oh, game yeah. and they're like, "What was that?" And you're like, "Right, right, right." He can't pass that line. I should have told you that before. Like they're experiencing things backwards yeah. all the time, where they're like, "What was that?" That I'm sure it made sense to everybody else, but I, I I don't know this yet. And that approach to storytelling, I've always really liked it too. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, again, obviously this is out now. People can pick this up now. Are you working on anything coming up? Anything else that you want to plug, or are you just I'm... basking in the release? <laughs> I have a book. I do books with this with my uh, friend Mac Barnett a lot, and we have a book coming out in a couple weeks. Um, Called How Does Santa Go Down the Chimney? And it's a real underhanded huh. pitch to Christmas books. It's just like, let's make a Christmas book. Um, but it's more of like a joke book. It's just Mac riffing on like kids' theories on how this might occur. How does a man get down your chimney? And how does. And it... That's fun. 
happens that like all those kinds of things it's not really it's just sort of a like a jokey but we hadn't seen one like that often christmas books get pretty sentimental and proud of themselves and they're very handsome and there's these but we hadn't seen a joke book for christmas very often and so it was a really fun one to do and especially on the back of something heavier like the skull it was just like oh no story just a bunch of jokes for 30 pages and so that was it's a good one and that's out in like a month i think Awesome. John, this is a great book. Uh, I uh, wish you all the best with it as we head towards spooky season. Uh, Thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming. I was really excited to get the call. Thank you for for having me and and yeah, for the seeing the parallels between comics and this one. That, That means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Really enjoyed it's, it. It is. I, I will call it a graphic novel at the very least. I'll take it all day. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. Have a good all right, night. Thank you. Bye. All right, oh, there man. we go. Once again, it oh, is man. called The Skull, a Tyrolean Fairy Tale. It's on uh, at bookstores everywhere, and it's awesome. It's so it's good. amazing. It's yeah. Just such a great read. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the art We're, alone is worth it. It's worth it for the art alone. We oh, just said weird that. Way to phrase your catchphrase. <laughs> it's the bananas. They are yeah. super tight. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah. Kaye, mother yippee fucker. What? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> all right, we're going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It is your audience question. All right, I got a question. I also and have a question. And all you got to do for audience questions is drop a question on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, not X slash Twitter because they can't do that. Uh, but we got I, a bunch I, I of questions from yeah. the... I have an opening. No, no, no. <laughs> me first. Me first. I've been waiting the uh, whole time. Here. Wait, but we talk about what we're drinking before we get into the questions. Can we oh, do that first no or time. we got to do this? No uh, well, we had we had a cocktail that was curated by Stray Bullet, Stray Bullies, Brett Macris. Our okay, chef. Brett, Ma- Brett former, Macris. Former CBC official. No, don't you dare say that. He is <laughs> our chef, will always will be our I'm chef. Uh, yeah, but he curated something for the Gotham City cocktail book by Andre Darlington. Delicious sounding cocktail. A little bit of ginger beer, a little bit of rum, some lime, etc. Sounds good. Uh, but I don't think any of us made that or did you make that justin i didn't uh out of a a lack of the right rum to do it i made a uh, mezcal grapefruit mezcal and vermouth with lime juice just a real basic sort of backwards basic nice pete what about you what are you drinking tonight Uh, i'm drinking uh my new favorite beer uh daytime lagunitas excellent Uh, pete loves drinking the daytime that's the way to go and as for me, you know what it is, right? It's August 15th, which means it's time for pumpkin beer. Uh, no. Boo. <laughs> worst. Boo. Absolute worst. Oh, I don't even like to see that oh, bottle so go to your mouth. I no, I wasn't planning on it, but my neighbors texted me. They were like, uh-huh. hey, do you want some pumpkin beer? And I was like, yeah, I want some you pumpkin beer. You know it. You, oh, you, you truly know. are the pumpkin king of your local. There you go. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> I will say, I say this yearly, but Southern Tier Pumpkin, if you're going to drink a pumpkin beer, oh, it's actually God. a good pumpkin beer. They're releasing a caramel pumpkin beer this year. Very excited. Blah. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we get to your questions, the audience questions, my favorite questions, let's get to my least favorite questions, Pete and Justin's questions. <laughs> All right, Pete, great. take it away. Thank you, Justin. So let me just, just get this straight. You read yeah. a story that uh, tortured you as a child, so then you had kids and were like, great, now I'm going to torture my children uh, with this nightmare stories. Uh, Naturally, like, wh- it's... It's sort of like, now it's my turn. Yeah, but why would you do that? You know what I mean? Well, like, why 
do you hate your children? Is that no, what's going because, on? No, because I mean, I like the, I enjoy these stories, and the images in it are so memorable and evocative that, like, yeah, it's great. Like, oh it's scary, I, but there's the nothing. There's, there's nothing wrong with being scared. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good. Well, but I, I also feel... think, not to get too philosophical about it, but it's just like John was saying, right? The kids process this in a different way. I know I process this stuff in a different way when I was reading it, and I loved It just dark seems stories. like, it, like if something emotionally scarred you, you shouldn't be like, hey, kid, guess what? Well, it's I don't time know. for you no, to no, get fucked up. No, no, it didn't emotionally up. scar you. I think, well, I don't know, maybe it did emotionally scar you, Justin, but no. things like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that is a dark story. I was not sobbing and crying about, spoilers, Aslan dying or anything like that, but it's something that definitely affected me and stuck with me and got me excited yeah. about reading the rest of the books, not realizing that they were a very serious Christian allegory, like straight across I the I also didn't realize that when I was a kid and reading, and now I'm like, oh, oh boy. let's just keep to this. Yeah, it only gets worse cool as it presence. goes on, buddy. Um, but, uh, but all the other stuff you were mentioning, like you were talking about the William Stein thing, I don't think you brought up Mouse Shoes, which, yeah. which is the one where, like, one. He's walking and his shoes wear off and then his feet wear off. So he has no feet. So he has to buy new feet. And it's the sort of thing, like, as a kid, I was like, this is very funny. <laughs> I, I am yeah. enjoying that this is happening. As an adult, sure, I guess you could think of like, oh, my God, he has no feet. That's so terrible. But that's not necessarily where a kid's brain goes. Or that's frankly, I think if a kid's brain does go there, they don't like that stuff. And they will veer away from that stuff. But there's yeah. some of us... Who do? I like horror movies. I like watching yeah. scary like, things. I enjoy like dark that. stories. But Pete so. doesn't like that stuff. And no. I think he didn't read scary stories as a kid. When you were now. a kid, what was that book they read to you? Ted Lasso? That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, that's a great idea. Somebody should great be children's book, a Ted, Ted Lasso, Lasso. A children's book. Yeah. And Pete, gather around for this three-minute commercial for NBC Sports called Ted Lasso. <laughs> Justin, uh, did you actually have a question? I do have a question. Okay. Pete, I have a bone to pick with you when it comes to garbage plates. I was in Cincinnati this past weekend. I went to Skyline Chili, right, which right. is a Cincy legend. Do you, Wait, have you had? I'm going to write down in the chat here what I think Pete is about to say. And Great. Then, you should. Uh, you should definitely. So Skyline Chili, have you had this? Pete? I, I uh, have my garbage plate shirt on that says Rochester, so fucking bring that shit to me, man. What's up? Have you had Skyline Chili? Where is that? No, I don't even know what you're talking about. Skyline Chili is a Cincinnati chain where okay. they do pasta. This meat sauce that's they call chili, but it's sort of like a vaguely cinnamon-scented pasta sauce. Okay. A ton of uh, cheese on top. I got a four ways with onions. Pete, Cincinnati's eating your lunch. They got Good. garbage plates for days. They got. I got a t-shirt that says what it is. All right, yeah, it just says chili. It doesn't it say Skyline for... Chili, my man. Yeah. This is a right. Cincinnati legend. Okay, great, man. I mean, I love meat sauce. I love pasta. Why not? That sounds great. That doesn't mean you're making a garbage plate, but it's still pretty cool. Oh, interesting. Wait, so you're willing to embrace all of the garbage plates the world is uh, conjuring for you? Hey, man, bring it. If you're trying to do something creative and something fun, you know, like, why not? Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's awesome, man. The more different kinds of flavor in the world, the better. The more different kinds of meat, pasta, flavor in the world, the better. I, I would love to try that, man. I'd love to get some... Uh... Honestly, if you're ever in Cincinnati, it was a great... I was out there for a shoot yesterday. We had ourselves some chili, and I didn't uh, have diarrhea afterwards. So I was a, it was a real victory. <laughs> All right. Well, sorry to disappoint you, Zalman, about what you thought I was going to say, but... Uh... 
I was close. I mean, I'll put it in the chat here just for the record, but I thought you were going to say it wasn't Rochester, so it's not a real garbage plate, which you kind of did. You skirted yeah, he that did. a little bit. He, he, he got it. I would think he was, we, he was happy he had his T-shirt on. He had the right garbage plate T-shirt on. I had the right uh, T-shirt. We had the right, uh, we aligned <laughs> our T-shirts aligned today, so that was great. Yeah. Uh, related to this, Kevin says, didn't we find out a while back that St. Louis had its own garbage plate? Um, yes, in every town there is a garbage plant. Every there's town. trash. There's trash everywhere, yeah. and uh, someday we have to clean up this this great nation. When I was in Detroit, uh, they have these things called Coney Island dogs, where they really kind of like put meat sauce and stuff on their hot dogs. It's absolutely delicious. Mm. Interesting. Mm. The formula works. That's right. <laughs> All right, another one, an actual question from Kevin. What are things you adored as a kid that really surprise you now? Oh, great uh, question. I thought uh, He-Man uh, and uh, Thundercats was the greatest cartoons of all time, and uh, going back and watching them, yikes, does not make a lot of sense. Simpler minds. We yeah. had simpler minds. Yeah. thing I adored as a kid that really surprised me now um, I don't know if it surprised me, and this was more, my mom would always make this whenever we were feeling sick. She would make us noodles with cottage cheese and black pepper. Wow. And that was like the go-to sick thing. Thinking oh. about it now, I'm does like, your mom that's like eating eat that. puke. That's like eating puke. <laughs> it seems like your in. mom doesn't I don't know. Like it was very at comforting at the time. I was like, oh, this is comfort food. Cottage but when I think cheese? about it, at it now, I'm like, oh, what was she thinking? Where did that come from? Oh, my God. That is uh, questionable, I would argue. Um, that really surprises I guess me. Maybe. And you eat garbage plates three meals a day. Yeah, if yeah. I could. If you could, <laughs> physically. Your body could handle it. Uh, oh I mean, I guess your, your con- skull is going to reject what your body is doing in that. Case. <laughs> I would say this: the answer to this question is simply comic books. That I'm still reading this many comic books. <laughs> I'm surprised by that. I guess. Oh wow! I think that's the dream, right? If you yeah. told younger Justin, you would just be you like, can be you gotta be kidding me. You can I'm be a grown up, surprised. still killing it. <laughs> Still killing it. That's what I. That's my tattoo. I got when I was thirteen years old. Still killing it. All right. This is from Stray Bullet. Who is your favorite Beetle? And if the answer is Ringo, you may be canceled. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, I don't. You know what uh, our guest said was very touching and very beautiful. But I I do not like the Beatles much. You don't like the Beatles? That's a controversial take. Um. I mean, this is uh, my answer has always been John Lennon, even though that's like the not as not greatest answer these days, I think. Wait, uh, I need to look up the name of the movie. Pete, have you ever seen a movie called Greedy? No. With Michael J. Fox? Uh, you should watch it. There's a great line Se- in it. Is it a sequel to uh, uh, Secret of My Success? Um, no, and... but it's like in the, kind of the same vein. Michael J. Fox plays this guy uh, who is called back because the family patriarch is going to die or has died and everybody's vying for his fortune. Michael J. Fox is the only person who doesn't want his fortune and doesn't want anything to do with the family. And the whole family yeah. thinks that he's like playing the angles, even though he's not. And it's all about how he gets sucked back into it. But there's a great line from Phil Hartman where uh, he turns to, I think it's bro. Olivia Dabo. You remember Olivia Dabo. Alex um, dropping Hollywood. I know, right? Like Olivia Dabo. And... 
he it's obviously like it's a Phil Hartman delivery, but he's like, I never liked the Beatles and I don't like you. Oh, so, that's a fun anyway. Line. You might really identify with this movie, is what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, Kevin is correcting you and saying it's greed, not greedy. No, it's greedy. Wow. Okay. Well, this is uh, Kevin. Kevin's funny. usually I just looked it up. Kevin's greedy. usually the guy. Kevin's wrong. Kevin, Kevin is one hundred percent wrong, and he's he should feel normally bad. not wrong. No. Nope, Every time wrong. Kevin's wrong, he has to throw a puppet away. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. A puppet has to die. Oh, that made a me feel sad. <laughs> yeah. Poor Kevin. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This is a question probably for you, Justin. How is the writers SAG, presumably the strike, going? Strike. Yes, Um, it's going, uh, I was out on the picket line, I was away shooting the past few days uh, for a project that is not uh, covered by the strike, but um, last week I was out on the picket line. So yes, just to be clear, you were being a scab, right? I was not being a scab, uh, for sure not, but um, the, uh, I was out on the picket lines last week and it was going well, numbers are still up, The, the vibe is strong, and last Friday, the uh, WGA and the studios, the AMPTP, resume talks. Uh, we got word that they're not going to update us on like a daily basis on what's happening, but negotiations have resumed. Um, the AMPTP has decided to, to go to negotiate with the writers first and then come back to SAG after that. So that's actually, I think, a positive thing. We don't know what's happening. A week before that, they had a sort of not good meeting and then the fact that they met so quickly after that i think is a positive sign hey all right a little hope that's uh that's awesome uh i gotta say justin something that warmed my heart is uh seeing a picture of you and gabrus uh you know reunited that was my guy who's in town we hit the lines it was great just seeing the two youths together warms my heart we it's just like we're starting improv classes 15 <laughs> years ago same energy uh well cool and just to be clear for anybody listening of course we support the writers and the yeah. actors who are striking 100 percent and unequivocally i hope they get everything they are asking for and more I hope they get more. And more! Somehow. The MPTP is going to be like, you know what? I know you asked for a bunch of stuff. Here's more stuff. We're good guys. Yeah, they love to give away. (laughs) They're heroes. All right. And that is it for your audience questions. We are going to move on to our next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LePage. All right. This is the part we give back to you, the lovely audience. It's an opportunity to win 25 free dollars in the form of a gift card to Midtown Comics. Because if you have 25 bucks, you can get some comics. Or, uh, of course, Long John Silver for some random reason that uh, is probably commonly related. Uh, But yeah, just want uh, someone to say, me, I'll go. I know last week, didn't we say Kevin was going to do it? Or we said oh, somebody yeah. was going to do it? yeah, I think Kevin it. is going to do it. Um, Kevin, Kevin talked Kevin about it, but then it. Alex just brushed him back so yeah, hard. Yeah. Did I? I? Well, yeah, when you were yeah. like, he's wrong. You oh, know? my gosh. And then I'm Justin sorry, was like, he's got to kill a puppet now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, uh, if Kevin wants to do this, we will buy him a new puppet up to $25. How about that? Oh, that's wow. nice. Uh, I, don't, yeah, I think puppets are way And real quick, this is from Stray Bean. says, recently one of those anti-fan YouTube critics said writers are just lazy. 
to get back to work. Explain the logic of someone constantly whining about poor stories trying to undermine the strike. Um, I think we could explain that. They're a fucking idiot. Is that... Well, and like, to go uh, a little more nuanced with it, I think people misunderstand sort of labor movement and how it's not being lazy uh, to strike. It's actually putting way more stress on every part of the system from not just uh, myself, a WGA writer, but like people who are um, crew, uh, IATSE, they are not working. Like everyone's suffering for this, but that's the only way that people can secure living wages in this world. And that's why there's a been a heat in the last couple of years because of the great like split between sort of the super rich and everybody else. That's why there's so much uh, more labor movement these days. It's because things have to change. It's gotten too far out of whack. I also think, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the specific video, but a lot of these people are, I know this is reductive, but frustrated writers who think they could do it better. And clearly they can't. So they're like, oh, what, what are these people doing? I could do this. I could write this better. I could create well, this stuff better. And Just who knows? Maybe they can be better writers. But if you were um, in the mindset of a writer, you would understand that solidarity is the only way to move Absolutely. forward. Like, it's not a, even about who's the best. It's about like, hey, we have to work together to make sure that the system works for us and not for a chat GPT that is suddenly writing all of your television shows. Boo. Totally. All right. Why don't we bring in Kevin here? Hey, Kevin! So real quick, you're going to be playing Looking for dapper. A, a new puppet. Which puppet did you destroy? Oh, no. I, I said that I'm not going to destroy any of the puppets, but I did say that fingers were expendable. Oh, okay. He's down right. one. Fair enough. You can puppet with as few as two fingers, I believe. Right, Kevin? All right. All right, here we go, Kev. Today's trivia is on topical comic news and a small nod to the legend, Johnny Hardwick. R.I.P. Please listen to all three options before making your selection. Here we go. Question number one. Who will be writing Batman in November? Is it A, Greg Pak, B, Jason Aaron, or C, Eliza Dushku? It's mm. <laughs> bad. I'm going to go with... Uh... Jason Aaron. You are correct, sir. Yeah. No hint necessary. Yeah. When, when only one of the answer makes sense, you don't need to give a hint. All right. Well, Greg Pop could be writing Batman. That would be amazing. Um, all right. Here we go. Question number two. There is a new image comic uh, superhero about a firefighter who gets powers at the age of 50. What is the comic called? Is it A, Midlife, B, Max Life, or is it C, Tony Danza? Mm. Mm. Um, so think about 50 and then the, uh, you know, the answer there. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, this yeah. is a great tip, actually, Pete. When I'm you're gonna... trying to do a trivia question, try to think of the answer and then give that. Yeah, That's exactly. Great. Thank That's you, Salvin. No yeah, problem. you're. A I piece will of shit. go with uh, midlife. <laughs> you are correct. On fire, ladies and gentlemen. Truly really on fire. No hints. This guy is killing it. All right, here we go. Which of the Marvel well, I villains? I think there was a big hint there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I was yeah, trying yeah. to brush past it, but uh, you called me out for it. So thank you for keeping me honest there. Appreciate it. All right, here we go. Last one. <laughs> Which of Marvel's villains will take on the Illuminati starting in November? Is it A, Thanos, 
B. Kronos, or C. John Amos? <laughs> Don't overthink it, man. This is great. Don't. You know, you would know this answer I'm, if you've been listening to our I'm comic book Thanos. club news podcast by Alex Albus. Yeah. That's right. Thanos is correct. Uh, yeah, uh, should be should be a fun comic. And uh, Kevin, do you know uh, which movie or TV show we'll be talking about in this Sea uh, Answers of Trivia? Oh shoot, TV show! No wonder I wasn't thinking of anything. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh man, we put TV you on the with... spot. Double Elijah Dushku, Tony Danza, and who was the third one? Uh, John Amos. See. John Amos. Yeah. John Amos. And John Hardwick is the person? Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Was Tony Danza on Buffy the Vampire Slayer at any point? I no. don't know. I don't know. I right. am not what, sure. What was it? all right. Hey, we stumped you twice today. You're going to lose two fingers. Very excited about <laughs> it. This is going to make it a great podcast. Can't wait to see the video. Oh! Oh, yeah. Of course, we're talking about... Uh, King of the Hill, R.I.P. Dale. <laughs> oh, oh, oh okay. I, that there makes sense. The uh, well, congratulations, puppy. Wait, were they uh, all puppy. on the same episode though? Uh, nope, nope. They were just on the show at some point. You know, that doing, <laughs> doing well, then I'm going to reattach the finger. Yeah, 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 yeah. reattach. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, congratulations! You have won a puppet up to twenty-five dollars. Just hit me up on the side with your request for puppet, and we'll get it off to you at your home address. Okay. Give us a um, RFP request for puppet, which is what that <laughs> term means in, in any business. Yeah, and of course, this is actually the first time I've been on the show since I got the new bookshelves. Ooh, yeah, a lot puppet, of people in the puppet comments bookshelves are talking about uh, blown up. Yeah, Kevin, move a side around so we can see we got Alf there, of course. And of course oh, my used, God. We're used to shelf porn, but this is puppet porn, but not how you think. <laughs> well, not these how you think. are my puppets. So mm-hmm. these are the Folk Manus. Uh, these are the puppet store. Those are uh, basically licensed character puppets with Alf on top. Nice. Mm. Of course, Alf, is, Alf on top. is always on top. Yeah, that's right. And then I'm those on, on that top. shelf are non puppet plush. <laughs> Alf's the top. Oh, okay. You're saying Alf is a top. Yeah. Kevin, top. I appreciate the tour you're giving us here. This is great. I love it. And then the shelves, this shelf and everything lower are books. Yeah. So the nice. shelf that you don't see because it's right behind my uh, couch is uh, the uh, comic book novels. Ooh, I look forward to you um, puppeting those comic books because you did say that was a puppet shelf. So you better yeah. be puppeting those books, Kevin, or we're going to take another finger. And I'm talking <laughs> about an important one, Whoa. not one of the ones you're cutting off. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for Please coming on. Please don't threaten Kevin live on the air. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Well, this needs to be a record for the police. Thanks so much for coming <laughs> on, Kevin. Have a good night. Bye. Great seeing you, Kev. Thanks All for right. listening. There we go. Before we wrap up here, why don't we talk about what's coming out this week that you all are looking forward to? Oh, great. What's coming up? So many comics. I could start. Uh, there is a oh, lot of stuff. Oh. Uh, all, okay. Uh, oh. Uh, Alex, I, was, I was ready. Oh, you were ready. Started. Yeah. No, I want to throw out there the call number one from Image Comics. Oh. This is a new book from Kelly Thompson with art by Mattia de Luis. Don't read anything about it. Just check it out. One of the biggest, boldest debuts that I've seen in a really you long know, time. You know, nice. I really had, like, I loved it, but then I was just like, why did I like it so much? Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll get, we'll, it. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. It's Maybe. very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Pete, what are you looking forward to, though? 
Ah, well, of course I'm looking forward to Something is Killing the Children, number 32. What an mm. issue. It gets a little emotional. And then, of course, I'm looking forward to, of course, uh, Disney villains. Maleficent uh, has Ooh. been unbelievable. So, uh, Pete, you have turned. You're a different man. That book's real good, though. I know. Yeah. It's so good. Art's gorgeous. It, yep. Um, I got to shout out the Lonesome Hunters, the Wolf Child number two from yes, Comics. Yes. Tyler Crook. Man, I have been loving that book. Uh, super interesting storytelling. And I got to shout out Daredevil number 14, ending Sadarsky and Marco Cicchetto's run on the book in great fashion foggy coming out on top i think we can all agree uh, always, on that. potentially always potentially allegedly potentially yeah, yeah. alpha top so foggy at top they're never going to work together unfortunately <laughs> uh, you don't know right. that <laughs> yeah, alex you don't know that you don't know you don't have a crystal yeah. ball all right fair enough uh give him a chance i'm shipping falf is what i'm doing <laughs> yeah and that is it for this week's show. Bunch of people we need to thank. We need to thank Oscar Osario for coming on to talk about a never-ending adventure. Also, John Classon for being here to talk about the skull, a Tyrolean yeah. folktale. Next week, we're going to have Emily Ettinger continuing our skeleton theme with Skeletor, the decomposer, is going to be here. Also, Justin Jordan and Andre Lavoie are going to be here to talk about Chase and Catch. Bunch yeah. of other things to plug, as Justin mentioned before. We'll be doing Comic Book Club News, a daily short-form news show. You can pick it up every single day in the Comic Book Club News feeds. Uh, five minutes long. Just an easy thing to listen it's to. Great. Sons a of a Gun, our DC podcast. We did a reread for Blue Beetle recently. Ooh, ooh, and then we're going to be watching the movie this weekend and talking about that. Of course, Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast. We missed it this week. But we are going to probably <laughs> do some news and other things as we continue to truck our way towards Loki. I tried the Loki sauce. Maybe we'll talk about that. Oh, after dark, a Riverdale podcast. We got two episodes oh left, baby, until it oh wraps up. God. Can you even believe it? But we're going to jam pack oh the God. feed I'm with stressed. so many podcasts. I'm going to need like a couple of shows to talk about it once it's over. You know we're going to do it. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show and all the shows we do. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice at comic book live on Twitter, comic book club live on TikTok or Instagram, comic book club live.com. For this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night. Good night, folks. Stray bullies, you're still our chef, dude. I love you.